0: Welcome to the Wicked Good Momcast, a podcast for Boston moms by Boston moms, a space to hear stories from real moms to celebrate the beauty of motherhood and to normalize its challenges. Motherhood is hard, but it doesn't have to be lonely. You are a Wicked Good Mom. And now here are your Wicked Good Momcast hosts, Shannon and Megan. This season of the Wicked Good Momcast is brought to you by our partners at Rockland Trust a local bank dedicated to providing advice and support through every stage of life or business. Visit rocklandtrust.com or stop by a branch to learn more. Welcome back listeners. Today's guest is a Massachusetts realtor and real estate advisor. She's helping ambitious millennials maximize wealth through real estate and multifamily properties. This mom of three bought 10 houses before she was 30 as a way to invest in her future. Whether you're planning to buy your first property, optimize the sale of your home, or you're looking for an investing framework, she's committed to helping you achieve your real estate goals. We cannot wait to hear Dana's story today. Dana Bull caught the real estate bug in her early 20s, investing in homes across the Boston area. Drawing from years of hands-on experience, she developed a niche for advertising clients on ways to maximize wealth through real estate. She firmly believes that buying, selling, and investing well has the power to change your life. An active voice in the real estate arena, Dana is a frequent expert in the media, and her work has been featured in The Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, The Washington Post, Bigger Pockets Podcast, CNBC, and so many more.
1: Dana, welcome to the show. Shannon, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm very
0: excited to have you here. Can you take us back to the beginning? Share with us how your journey led you to even start investing in real estate.
1: So actually, the way I got into real estate investing was through just a need for housing. It was back in 2012. I had just graduated from UMass during the recession. (laughs) So freshly minted marketing degree. And at the time, I needed an apartment. So I was looking on Zillow. Zillow was brand new and uh, it, it was, I think it had only been available for a couple of years. And so I started perusing rental listings and that's when I figured out that I could actually buy a condo and my monthly payment would be about the same. So that's how I, I sort of um, got into this investing world at a young age. It was, it was just by chance. And then I received some guidance from a real estate agent who I, I give him the credit for advising me to get into the multifamily space. Right. So um, that's just sort of how it all started. And I think that's how it starts for a lot of people. They buy their first home, whether it's a condo or a single family, and they realize, oh, you know, there's, there's more to this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then that kind of seg- segues into investing.
0: So, and I'm assuming by multifamily, we're talking apartments, duplexes, that type of thing?
1: Yes. So in Massachusetts and really New England, one of the benefits we have is we have a fair amount of these small multifamily properties. So anything between two and four units, whether it's a duplex, triplex, or a quad, sometimes they're called two family, three family, and four family homes. Um, And that's sort of a function of the way Boston and some of the surrounding cities were built up. It was designed um, back in the 1800s, early 1900s, as a way to economically house people around city centers. So we have this type of housing stock, and they make up about um, 15% of real estate transactions here in Massachusetts, these small multifamily homes, but it's definitely a niche. Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: you're absolutely right. Um, I am from a different part of the country entirely, and I can... Testify. This is a very specific thing to New England.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, why is real estate or multifamily property a good investment, and are there potential downsides to choosing to invest this way?
1: Sure. So, I call it sort of the get rich slow game. Uh, The idea with the small multifamily property is they're they're not as sexy as say an Airbnb, Mm -hmm. but the idea is you buy, you make an acquisition, you purchase one of these properties, and you secure long term tenants. Uh, so for instance, I have one of my tenants has been with me for 10 years, and it's just a steady source of income. Um, I would say at a high level, here's, here's why people decide to go this route of small multifamily. in in the investing world, well, there's two sort of distinct worlds when it comes to apartments. There's residential real estate, which is anything under four units or less. And then once you go bigger than that, you you're in commercial territory. So there's real residential real estate and then there's commercial real estate. So one of the perks of staying on the residential side, and and there's a lot of perks, but one of them is the financing. So you're able to qualify for residential financing if you're buying a two, three or four unit building, just like you would a single family home or a condo. And the lender is going to look at you as a borrower. Uh, and then once you get into commercial territory, they're looking more so at the property and the property's performance. Okay. Um, so this is why I think it's such a great entry-level strategy. It just, uh, people are familiar with this process. And one of the benefits is if there's um, anybody listening to this who would be interested in moving into a multifamily is usually you can you can finagle a low down payment. So that makes the barrier to entry uh, much easier to break into. Right. So um, typically in a a piece of investment real estate, you'd be required to put 25 percent down. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to move into one of the units, you can sometimes put down as low as five percent. So that's one of the biggest hurdles for people is the is the down payment. Right. Um, I would say there's three distinct benefits of of small multifamily properties so the first is the idea is you get a little bit of an acquisition discount mm-hmm. um so the if you were to go and buy a three family the idea is you're getting it at a lower price point than if you were to buy three individual condos mm-hmm. right. okay and then you get some economies of scale because now you own three units under one roof so if the roof fails then you just have to replace one roof as, as opposed to replacing multiple roofs, point.
0: right? Right.
1: Yeah. Um, so, and then the best part is if you decide to exit the property, you decide to sell, you could sell it as a multifamily or you could condo off the units and sell them for a premium mm-hmm. as condos. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of options here. What, the third benefit is that you can sell at a premium. If you decide to do a condo conversion, so uh, you could, you could sell it as a multifamily, which is usually usually the path of least resistance, but you could also go through a condo conversion process and actually uh, legalize the use and occupancy of those units as condos. And usually you can get more for a condo, each condo than as a full building. So, um, but you did ask if there's any negatives. So uh, one of the big negatives is that These buildings are older. They're really not making more of them, Mm -hmm. so you're looking at some of the area's oldest housing stock. Like I said, 1800s, early 1900s. So with that comes infrastructure items and bigger ticket items that might need to be repaired Mm -hmm. or overhauled. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's uh, definitely one of the negatives of these types of buildings. Okay.
0: Do you think, though, in your opinion? Do the rewards outweigh
1: maybe the downside? I think so. And I think because where many of these properties are sited, they are in some of the most desirable locations near the cities um, and not just Boston, but any of the surrounding cities. And so, so I do think in the long term, the negative of, of the buildings being older is outweighed by the positive of the locations.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I know location is very important. And we are going to talk more about that in a little (laughs) bit. Um, You mentioned Airbnb, and I'm curious, what would be a good reason to, like you said, have long-term tenants versus doing the Airbnb?
1: So I think Airbnb is another great approach for people that want to get into real estate investing. Mm -hmm. And um, if I were starting my journey over, I would probably be interested in Airbnb when I started over a decade ago, Airbnb was just getting off the ground and it just felt um, a, a bit unproven. Right. And there was a lot of concern. Well, what if all the the towns and cities tighten up their regulations to the point of not being able to do Airbnb? And I think Airbnb in some capacity is here to stay. Um, that is still a concern, but not, not a, a huge focus. Mm-hmm. So the Airbnb play is just a much higher touch model, right right? So you have high turnover, yeah. and you really need a well oiled machine in order to execute an airbnb model mm-hmm. and i you don't quite get the economies of scale going mm-hmm. because most Airbnb is the way well specifically Massachusetts, it's hard to pull it off if you own a condo or if you're in the city of Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there are a lot of regulations that prevent you from from doing an airbnb and in neighborhoods where uh the the you know densely populated areas neighbors really don't love having all this transient activity so that's a big piece of the airbnb model is finding locations where this is sort of acceptable mm-hmm. So I would say that the main difference is high touch. So even if you're not the person that's managing the day to day, you need to build a solid team to help you manage the Airbnb business, mm-hmm. as opposed to long term rentals, which it's the expectation is you're not providing this almost hospitality like service, yeah. right? Yeah. The exchange is uh, you're you're receiving housing as opposed to a vacation, right?
0: Yeah. And that's such a good point. So um, my family over April vacation, we rented a little Airbnb cottage in Cape Cod and it was off season. So, you know, we were kind of the only ones there and it was fine, but my husband made the comment and I agreed with him. It was such a small little community. You could tell like pretty affluent. And he was like, oh, I bet these neighbors just like hate having new people in this cottage, like every week during the summer. Um, So that's definitely legit.
1: (laughs) So I think you have to, well, it depends on on where you're buying. I think there's across New England, there's locations that are positioned well for Airbnb up in New Hampshire. Um, Here in Massachusetts, there are areas on the North Shore, the South Shore, where from a number standpoint, the properties can perform, but then you get into that. Can we handle uh, some of the the difficult situations with the town or with the neighbors. And you just, you know, that's a judgment call that you need to make.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me ask you, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. So um clearly you are a very successful entrepreneur. And I'm wondering for you, what are the most rewarding and also most challenging things about being an entrepreneur?
1: So I think in general it's this uh almost on the investing side, what's nice is I have been able to turn it off, but in general the hardest part is not being able to turn off a business. So that's what I love in terms of real estate. What I love about investing is uh, at some point you can kind of take yourself out of the equation and the Mm -hmm. business can operate without you, which is the point I'm at with my investing portfolio. But I also have another arm. I'm a real estate agent. I'm a real estate advisor, and I don't have a team. I do have a team, but I'm still very much involved in that business. Mm-hmm. So I think as an entrepreneur, um, depending on where, where you're at, are you in the business or are you um, at a level where you're just managing it and you have people in place? Is It's a totally different animal, yeah. right? Um, so I would say that's the hardest part is, uh, you know, I'm av- available seven days a week. The real estate market basically doesn't sleep. So, but I do love it. And I feel fortunate that I'm so passionate about what I do. And sometimes when I speak to my friends or family members, there's just so many aspects of their job that they don't like. And it really comes down to the fact that they don't have control. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of us being entrepreneurs at a, at a very um, high level, we do have control about what we're doing, which is nice. And I get to help people. And I think, uh, you know, I'm not doing God's work here but people really like uh real estate investing and there's there's a lot on the line here and that level of responsibility is, is something that inc- excites me.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, your home is such a personal thing. And so for you to be like assisting people in making their home dreams come true that is that's a very, you know, that's a weight to carry for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, especially right now with yeah, the state true. of the market.
0: As a busy mom of three, you mentioned that you have um help in place. So what kind of help do you have in place to support you as you were trying to juggle everything?
1: Oh, so much help. Yeah. so so, on the investing side, I self-managed all my properties for seven years. And then it was when I got pregnant with my first baby. That's when I decided I needed to outsource because I could no longer be the point of contact for everything. And offloading that responsibility was game-changing. It opened up, I mean, my whole world, right? Where I no longer had to be tethered to my phone for whether it was a tenant calling me or a contractor. Uh, so that was huge. But I'm so grateful that I did manage all my buildings for seven years because I gained so much knowledge about how to do it and how to do it effectively. And I'm also better at partnering with my manager because I understand the properties. So he, that, that hire was huge. Um, even though I am a real estate agent, I actually offloaded all the leasing Mm -hmm. of my properties, uh, strategically, just, I don't need to, I, I, again, did it for a long time, but it makes more sense to have somebody else doing that. And then on the kid front, (laughs) uh, like a lot of us, I have a mix of a nanny, um, part-time nanny, and then some babysitters, and then childcare. Like they're all. I I have three under five, so they're um, not yet in school. So it's you know I'm in the mode right now where it's basically a part-time job to just manage all the people that are helping that's you. Cool. Yeah, full time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, I do. I do have a lot of help with childcare, and then I have a couple hours a day where I actually put my phone in the car because that's um, my time with the kids and, um, you know, I've you heard, know. um, and maybe
0: you've heard this too. The, Joanna Gaines does that when she gets home oh, does she? from work. Oh, really? She says that she leaves her phone in the car like overnight. Yep.
1: Yeah. Oh, I always that leave my phone downstairs. Out, but, I always yeah. have, I, I have a landline because okay. for that reason, I, I, I don't want to be woken up unless it's a true, true emergency. So um, I got a landline. Love <laughs> it. You have to set boundaries. You have to have boundaries yeah. in place, and because that's yeah.
0: helpful to you as well.
1: <laughs> right. I'm in a very text-heavy industry. Uh, mostly, uh, we're, when working with buyers and sellers, just uh, for for people selling or buying primary residences, it's just most effective for my clients to text. So I do find that I'm very text-heavy, which isn't conducive to having. A one year old, right? (laughs) Right. So, um, but yeah, I definitely have help in place. I think you need help so that you can narrow in on what you're really good at and also what makes you happy. And that's that's made me a better mom. Is realizing that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to get help.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I appreciate you being transparent about that because I feel like we look at you know successful people sometimes, and you know moms specifically, and we're like, oh, how do they do it all? And We always say at Boston Moms, they don't, they have help.
1: (laughs) No, so so much help. And, you know, my husband gets, he's a lot of people working from home, but both my husband and I were still out of the house every day. So that's actually kind of unique. I feel like most people I speak to, they're like somebody's at home, but we're both out of the house. So there's a lot of logistics around that. But once he gets home, he is like full on dad mode Mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, bedtime and everything like that. So he's... You know, it's my saving grace at night sometimes. Sure. Yes.
0: Well, besides your personal investing, you are also helping others start their investment journey. Can you talk to us about how you're helping, what that looks like, maybe what first steps are for someone who's interested?
1: Yeah. So I really recognize this need in the marketplace for advisory services and mentorship, not only for investors, but even just... If you want to buy or sell your property, there's real estate agents. I'm a licensed agent. But sometimes you don't even, you're not ready for a realtor or you feel like you have so many questions that you need somebody else to kind of step in and give you that guidance before you're ready to work with a real estate agent, mm-hmm. right? Where the, Maybe you want to sell your house and uh, you you don't know who to even choose as a real estate agent, right? So um, so I have a, a website danabull.com, which breaks down where just hourly you can book me for a consultation on a whole range of topics, whether it's analyzing a specific property, or whether it's, "I have, a, you know, a multifamily Kickstarter or if this sounds interesting to you and you want to explore it further, or just a, a buyer- seller consultation that's more in depth than you would you would get if, if on the agency side. Um, so I, I found that it's really helpful for people, especially on the investing side, though, because there's so much to unpack and it's really hard to get this information, yeah. especially when you're starting out and you're trying to understand, oh, what's the difference between multifamily properties versus Airbnbs versus commercial mm-hmm. and and uh, breaking down what those options are, what the financing looks like, whether there's even a path forward for you based on financing. So, um, if that's something that people want to do, they just want to, you know, they're kind of in the information gathering stage, the consultations are a great fit. And then of course, on the, uh, realtor front, I'm up on the North shore of Boston, but I have a team covering all of Boston and South shore. And we even go a little bit Metro West too, but, um, one, one of my, uh, things that I've noticed throughout my career is it's really important to have a niche, have an expertise. Mm -hmm. So I like to stay in my lane. And if something in real estate starts to fall outside of my lane, I have a huge network. And so I'm very much inclined to make a recommendation to whether it's another agent, whether it's somebody, you know, an attorney, a contractor, something like that to help people get to their, their, you know, end destination in whatever way that looks. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. I didn't even know something like that existed, like to help it, people just get their basic questions answered before they dive in. It,
1: it, it, didn't. And that's, I think what was so challenging. And I think for a lot of people, they almost feel guilty. They're like, I don't want to waste your time. Cause I'm not ready, but it's like, I haven't, you know, that's why I created this, this secondary arm of my business is to to it's very affordable. I, it's $150 an hour, but just, you know, let's let's get those questions answered. And then from there we can create a plan and start to execute if it's going to be in your wheelhouse. Yeah.
0: You know, we've I've interviewed several um other female entrepreneurs in this series, and that keeps coming up. Like if you see a need, fill it.
1: Yeah. I think that's a yeah. huge
0: part of being an entrepreneur, is you know. Where is your niche and you know, is there a need that's not being met that you can meet?
1: Right, and especially after having hundreds, probably over a thousand consultations with first-time investors, uh, first-time buyers, second-time buyers, third-time buyers, or first-time sellers, that's a whole other topic. Uh, selling your house is a big deal and there's not a lot of information out there. And um, there, there is this need, and especially I think in our... Market here in Massachusetts in the Boston area, people are information hungry. Yeah. Yeah. They want to make informed decisions. And part of that is they don't know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, you know, these consultations are a culmination of all the questions that people have had and sort of boiling it down. You don't even know to ask this, but I'm going to give you the information. Right. <laughs> right. Yes, 100%. Well, speaking of
0: the housing market, we know it's been hot. Uh, In the last couple of years, what is kind of the temperature of the market currently and what advice do you have for buyers or sellers at this point in time?
1: So everybody is just kind of holding their breath, hoping that things are going to cool down Uh because where it feels like we're in extra innings, right? It's been so strong for so long. And when is the tide going to turn? And there's two pretty powerful dynamics at play right now why why has the real estate market not slowed? and the reason well, most people know at this point, but it's tied to inventory. we don't have enough homes being sold to meet the demand, but why is the demand so high and there's there's two big pushes. One is the millennial demographic has the most purchasing power right now. They're the biggest buyer group, and they need homes and two, rents keep going up in the Boston area so uh, renters, they have a hard decision to make. Do we just stay renting? The market may not get better or should we take the plunge? And so that's putting a lot of pressure on the market itself. So an inventory is that that's that's, you know, a whole other issue is we don't have enough homes being built. We haven't had enough homes being built for a long time. And we now we don't have enough homes being sold because people locked in their interest rates during the pandemic at two and a half percent. Yeah, (laughs) so you know, there's there's movement in the market, but it's really just people that need to sell, and then you've got a whole bunch of buyers waiting in the queue. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're going to see this year is this spring has been uh, the actually the strongest spring market I've had. I think in the winter we are going to activity is going to slow way down where there's going to be very, very little inventory. So if you're trying to get a deal, um, you know, January, I always say January, well, December, January, February, those are always good times to buy, to invest. Very slim pickings, but if you see something, it's a good time to act. Um, But no, I I don't think things are, I think things are going to continue to be difficult as a buyer. For sure, and as a seller, it's it's going to continue to be a seller's market.
0: Are there any parts of New England, not just Massachusetts, but anywhere in New England, that are easier to buy in right now than others?
1: Sure. So, uh, pretty much the further you w- you get from Boston, it's yeah. going to yeah. to get easier. the The immediate suburbs are very uh, challenging to buy into right now, um, but. For some people, they can go farther out, maybe because work options have opened up with remote. Mm-hmm. On the investing side, there's some some other options to consider. Massachusetts itself or the immediate Boston area may be cost prohibitive. You know, Western Mass it's much more affordable for uh, for real estate in general is more affordable, but especially these multifamily homes that we've discussed. But also going up to New Hampshire or down to Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and the The laws are different there as well. Massachusetts is a very tenant-friendly state. Tenants have a lot of rights. It's a difficult state to be a landlord in. Uh, So New Hampshire, alternatively, is not nearly as strict. So from an investment standpoint, certainly a market to consider is crossing the border, right? Um, And same with Rhode Island.
0: Great advice. Um, And I want to ask, you know, for anyone who wants to continue following you or get in touch with you after this episode, what's the best way for listeners to continue learning from you?
1: So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm not really on Facebook very much, but email through my website. I have a lot of resources on my website. Um, I have I actually just uh, recently launched a course called Buy Like a Boss. It's the Young Professionals Guide to Home Buying in Boston. It's It shares all my sort of insider tips that I've learned uh, throughout my journey. It consolidates some of the best advice that I received and really gives people, I think, a framework to buy smart. And the whole focus of the course is really to buy smart and get ahead. Yeah. So how can you leverage real estate, especially at a young age, if you have listeners in their 20s, 30s? Um, you know, if you're a mom, it's it's so easy to think, oh, I can't do this or timing will be better. Mm -hmm. But but real estate is all about, and making money in real estate is all about staying in the game. Mm -hmm. And there's time value of money, right? And so if you get started in this early, you can reap the rewards later on. Uh, I mean, if you do out the numbers, even just making one investment in one multifamily property could be your entire retirement plan. So- so that's why I'm such an advocate of it's so easy to oh we'll we'll worry about that later right when 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 things get easier and I just love seeing people do this when they're young because there's such a huge advantage for time. Right. So um but yeah my website has uh the the courses I have a whole course on multifamily investing but if people have questions they can certainly email me. Okay,
0: fantastic. Well, we will definitely link your website and social media in our show notes on bostonmoms.com for anyone who wants to check that out. Dana, at the end of every show, we ask all of our guests the very same question. So I want to ask you, what are you loving about raising a family in greater Boston?
1: So I'm up on the North Shore and I just love all the little communities to explore, especially during the pandemic. I had, you know, three little ones Mm -hmm. and I was pregnant for most of it with multiple, like various children and just even just driving around the shore yeah. and it, going to each town has its own uh own thing going on different restaurants and different parks and different beaches so i love even if you don't have a plan on the weekend you can just quickly make a plan by just mm-hmm. going one town over it's so true
0: you just reminded me during the pandemic one of the things we would do because at the time i had like two toddlers um We would load up the car and go on, like, there's a ocean scenic route around Gloucester. And we would just do that ocean drive around Gloucester, let the kids nap. And that was kind of the only time my husband and I were getting where we could, like, make sentences to each other. Yeah, talk.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I love Gloucester, going up to Rockport, Salem's Fun, Beverly, all these towns. Yeah, they have their own thing going on. So I, I do love that about living on the shore. Absolutely.
0: Dana, thank you so much for talking to me today. I feel like my brain needs to process everything that you have shared. There's been so much great information, and I know this is going to be helpful to a lot of our listeners. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And listeners, we hope that today's episode was encouraging and informative. If you're enjoying our Wicked Good Entrepreneur series, please share it with a friend. And until next time, you are a wicked good mom. Boston Moms is grateful to this season's Wicked Good Momcast sponsor, Rockland Trust, a bank helping individuals and their families develop a healthy relationship with money at any age. Visit rocklandtrust.com or stop by a local branch to learn more.